morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.40 a.m. Friday, August the 9th, 2019. This is episode 124 of Bitcoin And. Let's start off with Ragnar Lee, who says everything is deteriorating except Bitcoin, and Ragnar Lee would be right. That's Ragnar Lifthester. I can't pronounce his name. We just call him the Ragman. He's cool, though. If you're not following him, you need to. Uh, LN Zap's got some announcements. Um, and this is a big one, too. Uh, let's see. I'm going to start off with Rockstar Dev's uh, tweet on this. Rockstar Developer, if you're not following Rockstar Dev on Twitter, you should be. Uh, he says, I'm proud to announce that I'm joining awesome team at LN Zap. Thanks to the exposure you people are giving me here on Twitter, I had quite a few offers on what to focus on during the next year or so. But when Jack Mallers proposed that we team up and work on Zap, I knew that's it. All right, so that's that's a retweet done by LN Zap, who says on this retweet, we are extremely proud, humbled, and excited to have Rockstar Dev working with us on Bitcoin. We have never worked harder on something so big. Stay woke, Bitcoin Twitter, stay woke. So we're going to be needing to uh, keep our eyes out for uh, coming announcements because Rockstar is one of the main dudes on uh, the BTC Pay server team. So you can probably surmise what may be coming down the pipe on that one. Uh, really exciting though. So uh, keep your eyes open for uh, new announcements in the coming weeks and months from LN Zap. Um, this is kind of interesting. This is D uh, at DC Silver or David Silver. And he's talking about uh, these lawsuits against Coinbase, Kraken, and, and Cripsy. Um, and it's a um, it's not a it's not a long uh, tweet thread, uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it here because it's it it has some interesting information. He says, "What exchange you use matters" is one of my more important hashtags. With lawsuits against crypt, uh, Coinbase, Kraken, and Cripsy, I have always advocated for crypto investors' rights to be protected. Yesterday's ruling in Burke v. Coinbase is a landmark victory for crypto users. While I am obviously biased and I love favorable case law, I have no connection to the Burke v. Coinbase case. Robert Green, James Noblin of Green and Noblin, and Linda Grant of the Grant Law Firm deserve big kudos today. Like many of my cases, this is David versus Goliath work. The legal highlights of this case are fairly simple. A. Crypto exchanges are responsible for maintaining functional marketplaces. B. Negligently handling exchange marketplaces foreseeably impacts those who trade in the resulting dysfunctional market. Considering Bitfinex's market manipulation theory for all crypto exchanges, this line could be devastating. Quote, 
To the extent the negligence, fraud, and UCL claims are based on insider trading and market manipulation, Coinbase's actions would constitute an independent wrong. Even worse for Coinbase and other exchanges, and trust me, this decision will show up in every judge's inbox for any crypto exchange cases presently pending. These allegations and causes of actions are independent of the user agreement. Bye-bye, egregious terms of service. Their term, he's basically saying their TOS isn't going to protect them on this shit. Um, the language in this order can also be romanticized. I'm no Stephen D. Pauly, but the theory of li- the theory of liability is that quote Coinbase negligently launched a dysfunctional trading market. Think about that phrase: a dysfunctional trading market. As if that weren't enough for me and my brethren of crypto advocates, the court found that Coinbase's negligence is actionable and Coinbase bore a duty of reasonable care to its traders originating outside of the agreement. As succinctly stated by Stephen D. Pally, tort liability expands risk exposure for exchanges and makes adhesion contract arbitration harder where tort doesn't arise out of contract. As a commercial venture, you want to restrict your risk as much as possible to contract claims. Said a little differently, it turns out that crypto actually has rules and tort liability attaches to claims against crypto exchanges. Woo, Nelly, that's a really big deal. Uh, Trying to downplay the decision, M. Centauri Esquire stated, quote, the decision does not create the duty. It recognizes the duty under a bizarre California exception to the economic loss doctrine. Uh, okay, but California law applies to most crypto exchange user agreements. Case law is built one step at a time, and this is simply one step in the right direction. Coinbase has been known to appeal decisions. Uh, let's see, see Little versus Coinbase. Coinbase appealed a similar decision at the motion to dismiss compel arbitration phase and lost in the 11th Circuit. Uh, and then he he shills his uh, his silver uh, silver Miller lawsuits at silvermillerlaw.com and read all about it and and it, the dude's kind of interesting. Um, it's like one of these crypto lawyers that uh, probably you know we should take uh, pay more attention to. And I like how he references Stephen D. Stephen D. Pally. Uh, he's one of my very favorite people in the space that talks about legal proceedings uh, in in Bitcoin and whatnot like that. So. Yeah, things didn't look all that great for Coinbase, but they did get some of their stuff thrown out or, you know, some of the charges against them thrown out. So we'll have to see how this goes. But uh, according to David Silver, uh, there is uh, apparently a big, you know, monster still chewing on Coinbase's ass. And that's just fine by me. Can't stand that company. Um Oh, fold app. Oh my, 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 my. This is this is I, I love this. Um let's see what fold app has going on here. Cause they uh uh they introduced and this was I mean a couple of you know a few days ago, but um they're introduced they've introduced fold kickbacks. Now this was July the thirty first, but uh, it's it's worth going back over because I just found this uh this medium post. <clears throat> this is from Folds uh, Medium. This is actually written by written by Will Reeves, one of the guys behind Fold. He says, introducing Fold kickbacks, get up to 20% back in Bitcoin when you shop via Lightning. 
Today, we are excited to release Fold Kickbacks, making Fold the most rewarding way to pay. With Kickbacks, everyone can get up to 20, 20, 20% back in Bitcoin instantly on all purchases made in store uh, at places like Amazon. So Amazon, keep that in mind. Now you can use Bitcoin for Amazon via Fold. Uber, Starbucks, Burger King, REI, Target, and more. This means that every Fold user gets free Bitcoin back on their purchases. Super users and subscribers can take advantage of boosts to get even higher rewards. To celebrate the launch of Fold Kickbacks, we are giving all new and existing users boosts for 30 days. Start stacking sats now and get 20% or uh, 20,000 Satoshis just for joining Okay, uh, here's how it works. Make a purchase via Fold and opt in to Fold Kickbacks. Get free Bitcoin instantly dropped into your account based on the percentage above. Hodl or spend your new Bitcoin. Get 20,000 Satoshis for you and your friends by sharing your referral link. Okay, so you can chill your refer, your ref, ref link, man. Chill it. Chill it hard. Fold offers the highest rewards back at the best retailers on all purchases in-store and online instantly. Unbeatable rewards. Get two to three times more rewards back than you would shopping with other programs. Uh, Instant payouts. Compound rewards. Leveraging existing sales and affiliate reward program when applicable to compound your payments. Mm. Shop anywhere. I wish they'd clarify out some of this stuff. Um, Just because. Just because. Uh, Let's see. And this is interesting. Real privacy. Never expose your browsing history, transaction records, or payment details to anyone. Also, no need to turn off your ad blockers or submit to KYC. And with the Binance crap going on, that's probably pretty important. Actually, that is really important. It's not probably. Um, The question here is, where do kickbacks come from? Fold integrates lightning into prepaid access programs of major retailers. Users pay via Lightning and merchants settle instantly in the currency of their choice. Because we're introducing new customers, lowering processing fees and reducing exposure to chargebacks for merchants, Fold gets a discount that is paid out as kickbacks for our users. Can I earn kickbacks and still be a hodler? Yes, we're all about hodling over at Fold. So we know it's no small task to ask people to part with their precious Satoshis. Fold was created to make spending your Bitcoin better. If you're going to help spur the Bitcoin economy, you should get rewarded. Pro hodler tip, keep and refresh a wallet of Satoshis to spend on everyday purchases alongside your hodl stash. Can I earn kickbacks even if I don't have Bitcoin? Not yet. In the short term, we recommend you download the Cash app and buy some Bitcoin. Oh, man. Nice. Nice, nice ref, nice reference. Keep some as savings and spend the rest via Fold to get more rewards than the most generous credit cards and affiliate rewards programs can offer. What can I do with kickbacks? Get kickbacks on every purchase you make and gift you and gift you send within Fold. Your rewards can be hodled, spent, or in the near future withdrawn to your personal wallet. What's the point of all this? We're here for the big takeover, aka hyper-Bitcoinization. To that end, we're creating irresistible on-ramps and use cases for Bitcoin to kickstart a robust circular economy. We're doing this because we believe Bitcoin enables a fundamentally better way to pay, save, and most importantly, live. Bitcoin preserves privacy, resists censorship, is natively global, and now deeply incentivized. Pay with Fold and avoid sharing payment details and revealing your transaction history. Opt out of surveillance capitalism. We're making everyday use of Bitcoin irresistible. Stack sats every day. 
So yeah, that's why I wanted to read that was that that one line, the big takeover, aka hyper Bitcoinization, because Fold gets it. Why 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 can't other people get it? So anyway, so there's the there's the the Fold app step, and I still have yet to ask my questions to Fold as to what was going on with with my Fold, but this explains it a little bit better. Um, there seems to be an emphasis on making sure that you're using the Lightning network which is fine by me. I don't mind that. And I didn't use lightning when I was doing, doing my stuff. So there, there again, I, I am hoping for better clarification out of fold, uh, as they get going, but it may be a situation where there it's all hands, maybe all hands on deck because maybe they're getting better adoption than they, than they realized. And they're having to roll out, you know, definitions and, and declarations as they're, you know, as they're actually, hitting the ground running. So, um, I'm still, though, makes me happy. It makes me happy that there are more companies that actually get it that are acting on, let's say the right side of the fork and, uh, are, are moving as hastily as they are. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I had been thinking about this guy this week, uh, cause I, I've been kind of missing him, And all of a sudden tweet pops up from BTC King five, 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 uh, he's, he's alive guys. He's alive. And he's got a, a small, a very small tweet thread here about his favorite subject, Bitmain. My lucky investor friend who did not invest in a shady Bitmain with cooked numbers reminded me that <clears throat> almost a year has passed since investors were FOMO'd to invest at ridiculous $14 billion valuation. <clears throat> there was a promise of an IPO at $18 billion within a year. Needless to say, the IPO never happened as Bitmain's main bet, Bcash, collapsed to 95%. Company failed on timely rollout of efficient chips, some $300 million blown on R&D, massive losses exposed, and lying CEO Jihan removed from the company. God, that was just a talk about a fall from grace. Moral of the story, do your due diligence, ask tough questions, challenge assumptions, and if a lying CEO brushes off your comments, have the guts to challenge back, even when more senior people are in the room. At the end, honesty always wins. And for dumb investors that got duped, let this be a lesson. In case there is a miracle and BCH recovers to 2K and Bitmain lists at $18 billion, the investors will still be part of an intransparent company that has a tendency to cook numbers. Hence, would suggest full exit. Yeah, hence would suggest full exit. Okay. P.S. Probability of Bitmain to list at $18 billion is the same as for a penguin trying to fly, tr- trying to start flying like an eagle. <laughs> okay. I missed BTC King. I really, I really did. And it was weird that I was thinking about him uh, just this week. And all of a sudden he's got a, a, a fresh new take on Bitmain's plummeting success. If that's even a thing. Oh God, Peter Schiff. <laughs> okay. Okay. Peter Schiff. Uh, this was yesterday. He says, since June 19th, favorable press, weakness in global currency and stock markets, failing, uh, falling interest rates, and a 10% rise in the gold price have proved ample reasons for Bitcoin speculators to buy. Yet Bitcoin's price fell 15%. Holders should wonder who's selling and why. And Vincent DeFluit writes him back and says, that's not even factually true. Bitcoin closed at 9200 on June 19th and is up three times as much since then 
as that 10% increase in gold you're bragging about. Peter writes back, yes, I meant the 26th. I used the year as the day. I used the year as the day. But the point is that it's well below that high, despite all the bullish news. If Bitcoin could not take out that high, given all that has happened since, it's likely going lower from here. Uh, I don't even know what that means. I mean, June 19th, so the year is the day, so 2019. I'm, I'm trying to figure out... I'm trying to figure out how you make a mis- make a mistake like that. But even then, it's a sorry-ass correction. He's wrong. And even, God, Francis uh, Pouliot, uh, just a man just ripped into shreds. He actually came back to the original post and said, You, sir, are lying. Bitcoin increased $2,000 per coin since June 19th. And I mean, he, and, and Francis just continues to rip him down in other tweets, but we won't get into it. I just thought it was really weird that, that Peter came back with this. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the 20, you know, June 26th. And then the whole, I, I used the year as the day. I, I don't know, man. Personally, I think Peter doesn't know what the hell's going on. And, and he's, he's saying it's always going lower and it never, he's been saying that since 2013 and it's done nothing but go higher. Whatever. Okay, let's let's uh oh, okay, yeah, but last thing up in the community news section here is bruh, uh hash rate on the Bitcoin mainnet hit eighty exahashes per second. So that is another all time high. And that's gonna do it for your community news. Next up is morning roundup. Let's start the morning roundup with some lizard people here. Blockstream announcing uh, mining and pool. This was yesterday. Uh, this is written by Chris, Chris Cook and Samson Mao. This is the actual press release. I'm not going to read a uh, um, a news story about this because all that you need to know really is in the, the press release. <coughs> Today, we're excited to reveal one of our biggest product launches to date, Blockstream Mining. Blockstream Mining provides mining equipment co-location in our purpose-built data centers designed to meet the needs of institutional enterprise customers. Our hosting services support the fast deployment of virtually any type of Bitcoin mining equipment and provide customers with complete control over their mining operations. We firmly believe that Bitcoin holders and businesses involved in Bitcoin should take part in mining themselves to help maintain the decentralized security of the Bitcoin network. However, Bitcoin mining has high barriers to entry. Prospective miners have been faced with two options. One, build their own complex and expensive mining facilities, including specialized power infrastructure and cooling systems. Or two, select a professional hosting provider where they face a range of issues, including inexperienced teams, limited control over miners, and unpredictable pricing. Blockstream Mining addresses these issues by providing a turnkey enterprise class co-location service enabling the customer to monitor and control their mining equipment with complete transparency. We began our Bitcoin mining operations back in 2017, motivated by widespread concern that mining decentralization was declining. At the time, it appeared that parties involved in ASIC manufacture, hosting, and pool operations were becoming a centralizing force and holding back Bitcoin from reaching its full potential. Since then, we have scaled up our operations, secured additional sources of power, and expanded our services to provide hosting to clients that include the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology and LinkedIn co-founder, Reed Hoffman. 
We were one of the first Bitcoin mining companies to enter the Quebec hydropower market long before the recent gold rush began. And together with our facility in Georgia, USA, we now have over 300 megawatts of energy capacity secured with more sites on the way. We also have a self-mining operation, which represents less than 1% of the global hash rate. <clears throat> running on a combination of hardware from Bitfury, eBang, MicroBT, and other manufacturers. The Blockstream Mining Co-Location Service provides a turnkey solution for businesses to operate and remotely manage their mining equipment. One, logistics. Our experienced team can help arrange the international logistics to ensure safe shipment of mining equipment to our facilities. Installation. Our facilities, power, and networking infrastructure have been custom-built for fast deployment and maximum reliability. Operation. Miners can be managed remotely via the Blockstream mining control panel, delivering real-time analytics and control over each device's operation. Support. On-site technicians will keep your miners running and promptly deal with any updates or maintenance when required. Currently, Blockstream Mining is tailored to enterprise and institutional customers, but soon we'll be expanding our operations to support small businesses and individuals along with additional services. Keep an eye out for updates. Alongside the Blockstream Mining co-location service, we're excited to reveal Blockstream Pool, the world's first production mining pool utilizing the Better Hash Protocol. Better Hash is an improved mining pool protocol that gives individual miners the ability to control which Bitcoin transactions to include in their newly mined blocks. As a result, the Bitcoin network becomes more decentralized and censorship resistant as operators of large pools no longer centrally determine which transactions to include into blocks. The Blockstream pool has been running on testnet for over a year and is initially available to Blockstream mining customers. We will expand to a wider audience over time as we continue to work towards further centralization, decentralization. Sorry, We look forward to open collaboration on pool protocol standards. We are continuing to expand our mining capacity, contact our sales team to learn how to get involved. So there's the full uh, release, uh, press release from Blockstream themselves. So you make of it what you want, but the... Uh, the the most of the news seems to be kind of centered on oh my god they've been mining since 2017 and you know how you know how the other side of the fork is going to feel about that lizard people and axa and uh, tinfoil hattery and bilderberg and whatever man anyway but um, not many people are are mentioning the, the the fact that they are launching the better hash pool protocol and for the for if you guys don't know what better hash is i'm not going to i'm not going to hash it here ah, get it um but just google better hash mining pool protocol and read all about it it is pretty cool i i have to admit it's pretty cool okay so now uh into this one <coughs> Landon Manning is writing for Bitcoin Magazine. As of yesterday, Congressman reintroduces cryptocurrency tax bill. Congressman Ted Budd has introduced a bill to the U.S. House of Representatives to reform the national tax code around cryptocurrency. According to the text of this bill, first filed on July 25th, 2019, the goal is to, quote, allow exclusion of gain or loss on like-kind exchanges of virtual currency, end quote. While the proposed changes to the tax code appear minor in procedure, they could have a large impact on the cryptocurrency space. Gains and losses realized in transactions of like-kind real property remain unrecognized under the current tax code, and crypto assets fall under the umbrella of real property for the purposes of these taxes. As Bud explained to the House Committee on Ways and Means, 
quote, the use of digital assets is already treated as a sale of the asset, even though the economic reality of the transaction is a purchase of a simple consumer good, end quote. Having already proposed a similar bill earlier this year, Bud is continuing his mission to make the IRS stop double-taxing crypto users both on crypto assets as property and on like-kind exchanges of crypto assets. Small legal quirks like this can have big implications on the crypto space as a whole, and it is a work in progress to see how the tax code can adapt. Earlier this year, for example, Representative Tom Emmer made multiple attempts to formally clear up the way that tax codes apply to hard forks and fork coins. The bill has been referred to the House Committee of Ways and Means for further discussion and development. So he's he's slinging for us. Um, It would be nice to be able to just, you know, and I don't trade, I don't recommend trading. Unless you're really good at it and you know what you're doing, then you don't need to be listening. If, if that's who you are, you don't need to be listening to me tell you whether or not to trade. I'm just saying I see so many people just get wrecked on trading. But if you're good at it and you know what you're doing and you're consi- you know, you're doing risk management and you're um, um, you know, and, and you're making a go of it, it would be nice to be able to trade these things without a tax implication of uh and and then when you like, you know, on oh not being able to trade like kind and not have tax implication and only have the tax implication when you convert to fiat. That would be cool. And that's what this seems to be. uh, That's what this I'm getting out of this one. Colin Harper is writing August the 7th for Bitcoin magazine. uh, Again, about taxes. This is eyeing tax evasion. British authority launches crypto exchanges inquiry. (laughs) The United United Kingdom's tax agency is on the hunt for cryptocurrency tax evaders. Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs has sent letters to at least three popular cryptocurrency exchanges operating in the UK requesting client transaction data. These advance notices, which have been emailed to eToro, Coinbase, and CEX.io, will serve as precursors to the later statutory letter, which will require more definitive action. A representative for eToro told Bitcoin Magazine, the representative also noted that there is still some clarification needed as to what information will be required from whom, but that eToro, as required by law, plans to comply when it receives this statutory notice. It also plans to host a webinar with the HMRC on the topic in the coming week. The UK Managing Director of eToro, uh, Mr. Gandham, told us that The advance notice comes as no surprise, calling the taxation the first step to bringing it in line with other investments and solidifying its position as an emerging asset class. Gandam anticipates that clear regulations, which he believes will encourage adoption, are next. Quote, a lot of people got into crypto during the 2017-2018 boom. Many of these people were first-time investors, so it is important that these people are not scared by HMRC's move. It's an overused phrase, but there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. Crypto investors should not be put off by this development. The key is understanding how this affects you, end quote. And that was Mr. Ganham talking. He added that eToro has built a tax tool to ease this process for investors. These move by, moves by HMRC mirror those by its counter, counterpart across the pond. The IRS began send, sending letters to some 10,000 U.S. cryptocurrency investors in June of 2019. These soft notices, divided into three categories, aren't always consequential, but some recipients may have paid their taxes in full, though for those that haven't, follow-up actions may ensue. In 2016, the IRS invoked a John Doe summons on Coinbase to investigate tax evasion among some half a million users. The court battle 
The ensuing court battle, a win for the exchange, chiseled this figure down to some 13,000 users, basically anyone who had bought more than $20,000 worth of Bitcoin between 2013 and 2015. So there you go. And it's not, actually, it's not really overused. There really are just death and taxes. I hate taxes. I hate death too, but whatever. Uh, Colin Harper is uh, continuing to write for Bitcoin Magazine August the 7th. Coinbase has to litigate suit over BCH listings in court, judge rules. Now, this is going back to that. What's the name of it? The uh, Burke. I think it's the Burke v. Coinbase uh, that we were talking about from uh, our, our our crypto lawyer friend. <clears throat> At the end of 2017, <clears throat> Coinbase bungled its listing of Bitcoin Cash, and now a California judge is telling the company that it must reckon with this decision in court. The news is the latest in a 2018 class action lawsuit filed against Coinbase by a customer which includes allegations of negligence and the instigation of insider trading Trading following the listing. Yeah, we all saw that. We're not idiots. We, 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 see, we knew that was happening. On August 6th, San Francisco District Judge uh, Vince Chiarbra, I can't pronounce anybody's name this morning, advanced this lawsuit, ruling that Coinbase cannot arbitrate the suit outside of the courtroom. This decision grants Coinbase clients who bought BCH during the Fort Coins launch the right to proceed with the lawsuit. Why don't they sue Ver? <clears throat> Plaintiff Jeffrey Burke, representing other Coinbase clients, is seeking compensation for financial damages related to Coinbase's precipitous addition and subsequent abrupt suspension of Bitcoin Cash for trading in December of 2017. America's largest cryptocurrency exchange originally signaled that it would not support trading for Bitcoin Cash nor withdrawals for customers who held Bitcoin on Coinbase at the time of the August 1st, 2017 fork. The exchange then pivoted on its position, though, saying it would open trading in 2018 and announce Bcash's imminent launch on Twitter on December 19th, 2017. I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting in my car in a church parking lot while my daughter was at Girl Scouts. I remember exactly where I was. <laughs> the coin's price, which began running up before the announcement, spiked to roughly 9,000% or I'm sorry, $9,000, a 200% increase in Coinbase's BCH order book swelled to $15 million in trades. <clears throat> Citing thinning liquidity due to a surge in selling volume, Coinbase almost immediately suspended trading, opened it the following day, and then closed it again until 2018. Following the incident, Coinbase faced insider trading accusations, something the lawsuit hits on. At the very least, critics argue that Coinbase's actions demonstrate negligence and facilitated a, quote, dysfunctional market. The plaintiff's claim for negligence is not that the plaintiff suffered injury from the natural expression of supply and demand on the exchange. It is that Coinbase engaged in conduct that would ensure a dysfunctional market where there was no natural expression of supply and demand at all. And that was actually the quote from the judge writing August the 6th, 2019. Coinbase's decision to suspend trading twice and then halt it entirely displays negligence. The argument goes, and the judge said that the company should have given more advanced notice before supporting Bcash trading. It's the judge's opinion that, in this case, quote, the best interpretation of California law, which the California Supreme Court would most likely adopt, is that Coinbase indeed had a duty to maintain a functional marketplace, end quote. Given that Coinbase... 
given that Coinbase's primary business is as a trading venue and its customers suffered material harm from the business at decision, quote, California cases suggest that its conduct is morally blameworthy and a policy of preventing future harm is warranted. Per the, oh, end quote, per the order. According to Anderson Kill lawyer <laughs> Stephen Polly, this can mean that the duty of care under tort law applies to cryptocurrency companies, meaning that they have obligations to uphold standards of care with their business practices to shield clients from harm. Moreover, given that this case is being tried in a United States district court, it has the potential to set a binding precedent. Uh, Linda Grant, an attorney for Burke, commented on the case in an email to Bitcoin Magazine, quote, We believe that the court was correct in upholding the negligence claims and finding that they do not fall within the scope of the arbitration clause. This decision is consistent with the current trend in which courts and regulators have expanded uh, consumer protections for those who trade in the cryptocurrency market. Courts have recently found, for instance, that certain token offerings constitute securities and fall within the purview of the federal securities laws. Those that operate cryptocurrency exchanges will now have to be cognizant of the fact that they may be held liable for their actions. We hope that through discovery, we will be able to replead certain uh, certain of the claims that have been dismissed, end quote. Okay, so... Coin, all what this boils down to is that they can't arbitrate this away. They they can't go into a room and make a deal. Uh, they have to go to court, and this is again, this is really good. Uh, I'm, they're na- they've nailed at least one of Coinbase's feet to the floor, and uh, I don't I, I don't think Coinbase is going to get out of this with a slap on the wrist. They may, but I don't know, man because what they did was wrong. I mean, you can't do that shit. I remember that mess like the, like it was the back of my hand. You know, watching that whole thing just made my stomach just not, you know, especially seeing that price go up to 9,000 and then within minutes, you know, this thing, they, they shut down the ability for anybody to, to bail out of it. And I don't know, man. And then reopening it and then closing it down again. It's just like, how's that not dysfunctional? How do you how do you even even suggest that you're not at some kind of major fault for doing shit like that? That I I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, this is not good news. This is Daniel Kuhn writing yesterday for CoinDesk. Rhode Island has become the latest U.S. state to add specific money transmitter guidance for crypto firms. Y'all be aware. According to a report published August 5th from Alston and Bird, an international law firm, any business that accepts fees for currency transmissions or maintains control over virtual currencies for others will fall under the new law beginning January 1, 2020. Part of Rhode Island's licensure for crypto firms are strict compliance metrics, anti-money laundering and anti-fraud protocols and security requirements. Firms must also demonstrate an operational ability to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of any non-public personal information and currency transmission it receives, maintains, or transmits, end quote. Many of these requirements are adaptations from the standing money transmission legislations in the state. What's new is a firm must maintain holdings of cryptocurrencies in kind and quantity equal to amounts being transmitter or transmitted by clients. In the bill, cryptocurrencies are defined as a, quote, digital representation of value that is used as a medium of exchange, unit of account, or store of value and is not legal tender, whether or not denominated in legal tender, end quote. 
outside the purview of the law are digital currencies that are not exchangeable for fiat or that exist solely on a gaming or blockchain platform. This stands in line with United States Security Exchange Commission's recent decision that enables an ERC-20 token to be legally sold on a gaming startup blockchain. Uh, Additional licensing (coughs) exemptions exist for personal, family, or household uses of virtual currencies, academic purposes, and certain escrow services, among others. Exemptions exist for personal, family, or household uses of virtual currencies. So... (coughs) I'm wondering if my light, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking of lightning notes here. I mean, because the question, you know, that's a question. That's a, that's a valid question. Uh, if, I make, if I'm running a lightning node and I have two channels open, I have an ingoing and an outgoing to like two other people. It's if somebody who's getting, try, routing through me to get to the other person, the question becomes, am I a money transmitter? And it's a sticky question. It really is because technically kind of but personal family or household exemptions i wonder yeah i'm just wondering there i'm i'm sorry i'm 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 navel gazing i guess is what what it's called but let's continue on because no humans required commerce bank develops a blockchain payments for automated trucks jesus it's coin desk this is daniel palmer writing august the 8th Commerce Bank has launched a blockchain-based solution for machine-to-machine payments. Stop. You don't need this. You don't you don't need your own blockchain for this shit. We already have this solved. Stop it. Stop doing this. Sorry, continuing machine-to-machine payments that it says could be used to allow automated trucks to pay for power charging without the need for a human to get out their wallet. Calling it a concrete pilot project, the German bank worked together with its incubator research and development unit and Daimler Trucks on the system that it says, quote, deals with fully automated payment processing of charges between a tank charging station for electricity and a lorry system, end quote. The partners have already proved the system works, according to an announcement on Thursday. In test transactions, Commerce Bank put euros on the blockchain system, and it sent it to Daimler Trucks for the settlement of a payment. Just use Bitcoin. The bank doesn't explain much of the detail, however. For example, how euros are transacted on the system or how the charging station would receive and process the payment. It does say that as machines are becoming increasingly interconnected and increasingly autonomous, there's a growing need to allow mutual settlement with no payment triggering by a human actor. Current payment systems cannot yet map such a fully automated payment process. That's bullshit. The bank said, I'm sorry, that's just bullshit. Stop it. Continuing, according to Stephen Mueller or Mueller, divisional board member of transactional banking at Commerce Bank, the new blockchain platform is part of his institution's increased focus on blockchain tech. He said, quote, following the recent digitization of securities transactions and the use of blockchain technology, We are now focusing on DLT-based payment structures. As a bank, we naturally also see our mission as creating new digital payment architectures for our customers, end quote. Commerce Bank said that the pilot has proved, and that's in quotes, that in future, the payment process for automated machines can proceed fully autonomously. The advance could offer efficiency improvements in the short term, it added, and also has possibilities across other industries where machine-to-machine communication may be applicable. God Stop it. 
we there is nothing about this that is new, sexy, something that we don't already have. It just just it's people. I think these these, these are natural reactions from people that have realized that they are so late to the game that there's probably no recovery. And I think even these guys know that whatever it is they're doing here is not going to last. The edifice is going to, is going to crumble even as they build it. And that would, you know, that would suck to watch something, you know, that you're building, you know, you haven't finished building it yet. And it's just, it just becomes worthless in front of your eyes. Whatever. My God. Now, continuing in the world of stupid, Cointelegraph's Jack Martin is writing, German company secures 750 million euro eco-friendly loan via blockchain. German-based DER, one of the world's leading mechanical and plant engineering firms, has secured a, a sustainability loan of 700 or 750 million euros, the interest on which is linked to its eco-friendly performance. The credit agreement reported on August the 8th August 8th by German speaking finance magazine was self-initiated by Dürr utilizing a blockchain based syndicated loan platform. The consortium process was also digitized and backed by blockchain sustainable or green finance is on the rise and in the current economic climate has benefits for both investors and lenders. Dürr's latest agreement comes just two weeks after it issued a 200 million euro sustainability Schuldschen a popular German financing tool. Both agreements depend on the company's sustainability rating as scored by EcoVadis Agency. This measure, or these measures, uh, sorry, God, this measures ecological factors like water consumption along with working conditions and more and influences the rate of return on the loan. The credit agreement was initiated through a blockchain-based syndicated loan platform, and the syndicate syndicate includes 13 banks from the U.S., Europe, and Asia. The consortium process was also digitized using software from Targins. Transaction precipitants create digital identities, which can then be used to authorize electronic signing of agreements and documentation. Quote, the digital identity check increases security, and the process is faster, explained Dirt Chief Financial Officer Carlo Crosetto. Blockchain platforms are increasingly being used for sustainable finance. As Cointelegraph reported, Spanish bank BBVA issued a $40 million structured green bond back in February. So more stupid. There's nothing new about this. It's, I, I but see, the, I think the reason, the reason it's important to note why I'm reading these blockchain things is because this shit hasn't gone away. It somehow or another, it's simmered up or it just kind of like laid low for a little while. But dude, blockchain, not Bitcoin is seen. It seems to be coming back. So just continuously guard, continuously guard against this kind of bullshit. And Mary Hewlett is also writing about blockchain uh, for Cointelegraph blockchain solution spending to hit 16 billion by 2023 IDC report a new report published on August the 8th by United States based market research firm International Data Corporation forecasts that overall spending on the technology will reach 15.9 billion dollars in 2023 at a 5 year compound annual growth rate of 60.2% between 2018 and 2023 IDC's <clears throat> worldwide semiannual blockchain spending guide provide 
provides an analysis of spending data for the blockchain sector from a regional vertical industry use case buyer technology perspective. And I'm just going to end it right there because the rest of this entire thing talks about uh, how they did their analysis. And so let's just understand that blockchain, not Bitcoin spending is going to be $16 billion by 2023. Again, Gird your loins, ladies and gentlemen, because the blockchain, not Bitcoin crowd is very much alive and well. I kind of thought that that had died off, but no. And I I get the feeling there's going to be cycles of this. Like we saw it with a whole bunch of startup ICO shitcoiners, you know, literally homeless people that put on a suit and said blockchain at a business, at at a blockchain conference, and then all of a sudden got funded and then they exit scammed. Now you're seeing it with Facebook and Libra and, and uh, IBM. Well, IBM's actually sort of playing okay, but Facebook clearly is not. And then they, Walmart is talking about doing their coin. And so now we have industrial strength shit coinery, okay? Before it was just a bunch of flies on the wall and they were fucking annoying. Now it's getting, it, it's going to probably be more ugly then after that, there's going to be government coin, Fed coin or Fed now or whatever was talked about. Um, so that shit coinery is just as bad as corporate based shit coinery. And so the cycles will continue. Protect Bitcoin, use Bitcoin, don't get into using anything else. Okay, because uh, you know why. Now, there is good news from the industrial uh, sector that is not shit coinery. Um, this is Coindesk. This is Nathan DiCamillo's piece uh, entitled, This Bank Gave Bitcoin to Its Entire Staff. Now it's taking crypto clients. Uh, this was this morning, a small bank in, <clears throat> this was, I'm sorry, this was written this morning. A small bank in New York City has started doing business with cryptocurrency firms, joining the very short list of United States financial institutions to embrace the sector. Let that sink in. A bank in New York. A bank in New York. Ah, man. Quantic Bank opened a checking account for a Bitcoin ATM company a few weeks ago and is in the process of completing a contract to deliver banking services to other crypto startup or to another crypto startup. The bank wouldn't name either client. Good. Yeah, good. Quote, we're just taking steps so that when the regulatory environment becomes more crypto friendly, we don't have a lot of catching up to do, end quote, said Quitonic Chief Executive Stephen Schnall, who acquired the bank in 2009. Quote, we're looking to diversify our product offering and our customer mix by entering into that field, end quote. While Schnall wouldn't say how big he wants Quantic's crypto business to be, he claimed the pending contract, quote, could impact millions of Americans. Crypto-friendly banks are extremely rare, in part because of the extra work they have to do in, in complying with know-your-customer and anti-money laundering regulations. Quote, banks and other financial institutions have to look out for any suspicious activity, said Joshua Clayman, head of the blockchain and digital assets practice at law firm Linklater's. If you have a startup that raised money doing an ICO and didn't do proper KYC or AML, that bank doesn't know who the proceeds are from, end quote. The handful of U.S. banks willing to serve the sector include Silvergate in California and Signature and Metropolitan Commercial in New York. Like those institutions, Quantic is a, relatively, is a relative pipsqueak uh, in the banking industry with $420 million. 
420. With 420 million in assets, it is only 0.015% the size of JP Morgan. Yet Quantic stands out because its leaders caught the crypto bug early on. Schnall, a longtime mortgage lender, became interested in Bitcoin when it was worth less than a buck. Bought his first Bitcoin at 75 bucks in 2013 and lost 500 BTC in Mt. Gox. Wow. Oh, man, my heart goes out to you, dude. Patrick Sells, now the bank's chief innovation officer, said Schnall began to educate him on Bitcoin the first few times they met while Sells was doing mortgage lead generation for Quantic through his own firm. To learn more about the mechanics of cryptocurrency, Schnall and Sells built an Ethereum mining operation independent from Quantic in January of 2018. A little late. Schnall said he is now more bullish on Bitcoin than any other cryptocurrency. Yes, because he knows. The two executives came even came close to launching their own cryptocurrency. No. Also separate from the bank called QCoin. They lined up $2.5 million in an initial coin offering, but called it off after the market crashed. Good. You did the right thing. Undeterred by the ups and downs, the bankers said that they believe banking and crypto can have a symbiotic relationship and are exploring what steps towards that goal might look like under the U.S. regulatory framework. The bankers helped educate their staff of 180 by giving them each $20 in Bitcoin when the price of Bitcoin was around three grand. And they're looking to hire employees with experience in cryptocurrency. Quote, we can teach them at the banking side, says Sells, vaping in a white V-neck and jeans at Quantic's Manhattan headquarters. It's easier to do that than vice versa. <laughs> While the bank wants to let cryptocurrencies companies know that it's open to banking them, Quantic said it has high standards for crypto customers. When the bank Bitcoin ATM network approached Quantic a year ago, the company was not prepared for the bank's compliance vetting. It didn't have a disaster recovery plan. It was not properly track, tracking the currency transaction reports filed to regulators. And the company's reporting was not up to Quantic's standards. After working closely with the bank for a year, the company opened an account at Quantic a few weeks ago. To Schnall, such professionalism is necessary for crypto startups to be taken seriously. You don't have mom and pop financial institutions. You're not going to have mom and pop crypto players of any significance. Crypto companies have to have strong controls, internal audit, and a very robust, robust system of compliance. Hold on. Sorry about that. I do have kids. Okay. Additionally, the juice has to be worth the squeeze for Quantic to bank a crypto firm. Quote, there must also be a strong strategic motivation for us as well, such as meaningful deposit balances, etc. Schnall said, oh, yeah, Schnall said, meaningful is relative to how complex, risk-laden, and labor-intensive the account will be. Uh, Stephen Schnall, oh, yeah, sorry, that, that was the end of it. Um, nice, so you got a New York bank. Uh, getting into the crypto uh, crypto game. All right, so my prediction is that you're going to see turnover in the banking industry and the small little shit players like Quantic will probably end up supplanting uh, the larger institutions. It'll probably look pretty ugly and many of them will get crushed like a bug, but some of them will end up supplanting uh, older institutions. I, I think it's inevitable. And I, I think you're going to see a lot more banks just say, screw it. We, we want the business. They're just going to want the business because everything else looks like it's a, in a, like Ragnar Lee said at the top of the show, everything looks bad except Bitcoin. So yeah, the disintegration continues. See if there's anything else. Oh, uh, 
Tim Draper is still bullish on Bitcoin. He says in the first quarter of 2023, the price will hit $250,000. So there's your daily bit of hopium. And that's all we got to say about that. And then um, I am not, this is Daniel Kuhn. He's writing for Coindesk. This is a huge article and I'm not going to read it. But what I'm, uh, what I am going to do is uh, uh, give you the takeaways that, that, uh, no, yeah, this is John Biggs and Daniel Kuhn, and they give some takeaways at the top. Um, essentially, the, the, okay, well, the name, the name of the piece is An Extortion Gone Bad Inside Binance's Negotiations with Its KYC Leaker. And this whole article is cringe, man. And it ain't because Daniel Kuhn and John Biggs screwed it up. No, I mean, the, the what they're reporting on is cringe, man. So the takeaway, there's four. Prior to publishing details about real Binance customers online Wednesday, a hacker operating under the pseudonym Nautiv Platon had a month-long conversation with Coindesk reporters. In the talks, Platon revealed how he allegedly hacked individuals behind an earlier hack in which 7,000 Bitcoin was stolen from the world's largest, largest exchange. Platten claimed his aims were altruistic and that he simply wanted to bring the hackers' identities to justice. However, it appears he also effectively asked for money in exchange for promises he would not release Binance's customer data. Platten and Binance would hold numerous talks and reportedly struck a deal that was later aborted. Coindesk has obtained full transcripts of these conversations, and that's where, I mean, that's where the real cringe comes in. Because this whole thing uh, that, you know, uh, CZ Binance came out and said, this is all FUD. No, no, they knew about this for a while. They knew about this for a while. They struck a deal for 300 Bitcoin with this guy and, and, and then the whole deal collapsed. And so I don't believe at this point, I don't believe CZ Binance I just, I can't, not with all this. So um, again, this is John Biggs and Daniel Kuhn writing August the 7th for Coindesk. The name of the article is An Extortion Gone Bad Inside Binance's Negotiations with its KYC Leaker. And I highly recommend that everybody go read this. I, I can't stress that enough. It's It shines a light on Binance that Binance isn't going to want uh, Binance is probably going to fight back against pretty hardcore, but I don't believe Binance anymore. And that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Okay. Oh, thank God. Vital statistics. Um, Bitcoin is at an average of 11,765. It looks like the high is going to be at Simex at 11,795. And the low is going to be over at Coinbase Pro. Has it at $11,728. 350,000 transactions were processed over the last 24 hours with 14,500 average uh, transactions average per hour. 1.3 million Bitcoin were sent over the last 24 hours with an average cent per hour of 55,000. Average transaction value was about 3.8 BTC and the median transaction value a little high at 0.031 
or 360 bucks USD. Block time's a smidge low at 9 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, and it looks like 0.41 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 63 BTC have been taken in fees overall over the last 24 hours. We've lost 2.75% in 24 hours of the hash rate and bringing us all the way down to 71.335 exahashes per second. Um, as I'd said earlier in the show, the all-time high of 80 of 80 exahashes per second was hit and then immediately dropped back down. So we're back here at 71, but you know, that's just going to happen. Um, the last, uh, the last GitHub commit to the Bitcoin code was looks like yesterday. Yay. It's left to right. Ethereum's at 211. Bcash is at 321. Litecoin is at 86. That's a pretty precipitous drop. BSV is at 139, another precipitous drop. Thank you. Ethereum Classic is at $5.87. And Dogecoin has also lost a couple of percent. It is at 0.0029. Although, from a stability standpoint, I got to say, Dogecoin is actually pretty stable. (laughs) Uh, has, Has Dogecoin beat anybody today? No. Dogecoin's transactions in the last 24 hours are the lowest, including not even coming close to Ethereum Classic. Uh, yeah, okay. The mempools, what's going on here? It looks like it's kind of, you know, it had kind of cleared out, but is now building back up. Um, 12,300 unconfirmed transactions uh, are due inside of the next eight blocks. So eh, it's getting up there. And again, I can't see a single block that is under a megabyte. That's going to do it for Vitals. All right, man. I'm going to do a song. Another one from Peter Gabriel. Uh, a A lot of people may not know that Peter Gabriel was uh, the one of the founding members and front man for the band Genesis way back in the day. I'm thinking like the seventies is probably the heyday. Then he left to go solo. And that's when Phil Collins took over uh, not only doing all the drumming for Genesis, uh, but he also became the voice of Genesis. Um, so, and it's a, you know, I can't imagine it being very easy to drum and sing at the same time. Phil Collins, Phil Collins, uh, pulled it off pretty well. And then he went on to have a successful solo uh, career and the guitar player, uh, also had a fairly successful solo career after Genesis. But back in the early days in Genesis, Peter Gabriel was a master showman and, and, to this day still is Um, his entire career has always done that. His live performances are fun because in the seventies with Genesis, he used to wear costumes like he would be a gigantic sunflower. And I think once he was a a full blown monster and uh, and, you know, so he wore, you know, like really elaborate costumes and they were really well done too. Well, like uh, that last song that uh, that I played for you on Wednesday, Come Talk to Me, that was a live performance from Secret World Live. And if you watch the video for that, and, and pretty much for the entire concert, but that, that particular one, that duet with Paula Cole, um, it, he's, it's, it's, a prof, it's like a play. 
it's not just them sitting there singing. They're, they're actually looking at each other and they're having this conversation on stage live. And it's almost as if that they're actually kind of in love, but it's an act. They're, they're performers, but Peter Gabriel always does that. Okay. So just, if you ever get a chance to see some of his live work or if he's, if he goes on tour, cause he's getting up there in age and he, he may stop pretty quick. If you get a chance to go see Peter Gabriel live, do it. I haven't been able to see him. I've seen a lot of people live, but I've never seen a Peter Gabriel live. And, and that, that kind of sucks. Anyway, um, the one that I got for you today is a mix of, is the same song, but I've edited it together to uh, display Salisbury Hills, the name of the song. And it came out like in the 70s right? Or yeah, probably the seventies. It's one of my favorite songs, but you can tell in the recording that it sounds thin because the recording equipment, you know, has, has gotten better like everything else. And I mix it in sort of like in, you know, in the middle with the live performance of Salisbury Hill that was done in the nineties. And you can, and, and there's a, a huge difference in, in sound. And I just, I like doing like weird edits like that to see, you know, a, to, practice my chops but b because it's it it this one turned out good so i'm gonna go ahead and spin it right here
Sometimes an edit just works out for me. I'm, I, 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 I just, I love doing that stuff. And it's so much easier with the digital audio workstation than the way that, you know, when I first got into audio engineering in, in a, a college and high school and college days, uh, we were still, we were still going to tape. Uh, DAWs had just started hitting the market. Uh, and the whole landscape is, has changed. Oh my God. It's, it's changed so much, but having to do edits like that, you would actually have to get a razor blade and dial in with your fingers and on a reel to reel tape, find out where your edit points are. And I mean, something like what I just did, like I I did that mostly last night and then squared it up this morning would have taken hours. If you were really good, you could probably get it done in like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but you'd have like, that's an editor that, uh, uh, a tape editor that has like 30 years of experience. So yeah. Uh, anyway, enough of that. Your daily train wrecked is brought to you by, it was going to be brought to you by, uh, somebody else, but I decided to call an audible. Uh, this one's brought to you by, um, Hold on. Oh, good God. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) This one's brought to you by Elizabeth Warren. Um, Well, it's actually brought to you by Kim Norvell at Kim Norvell DMR on Twitter. Uh, She has posted up a picture of Elizabeth Warren at a nice little lemonade stand. and, And this is what she has to say about that. Just happened to come across Elizabeth Warren buying lemonade from some girls in Harlan. It was $7. She gave them 10. This is Iowa. Oh, God. So everything that's wrong right now is summed up in that single tweet. $7 lemonade. Elizabeth Warren tipping these girls three bucks. $7. In Iowa, the hell's wrong with everybody, man? This is that's that smoldering pile is gonna be in my mind for a while, but let's let's move on. Terrible joke corner, as if the train wreck itself wasn't a a bad joke. Uh, I got this from, from Dergigi. Uh, let's see. That is at D E R G I G I. Uh, he's got a little plug for, uh, Dergigi. He came out with a meet, I think it was a medium post. Yeah. Medium post, uh, called proof of life. Why Bitcoin is a living organism. He uh, released that on August the 7th. It appears to be a 10 minute read. I won't clearly, I'm not going to read it here, but, uh, go read it. It's, it's pretty good. I'm about halfway done with it so far. Um, but it's Dergigi's get putting out some awfully cool stuff. Anyway, he tagged me, uh, in uh, a reply to a tweet from Jim crypto. Uh, he says one for the terrible joke corner and, and it's got me tagged. So let's, let's do the joke here. Jim crypto writes, how did the Bitcoiner find himself on the sex offender registry? He touched a miner in the pool. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's it's cringe, but still, it's kind of funny because it's a play uh, play on words. 
And with all the mining news, you know, it was with the Blockstream mining news and lizard people and tinfoil hattery going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do the outro. It is the weekend. It is Friday. So everybody go enjoy your weekend. Stay away from boating. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more boat. Mark Yusko actually put himself, took a picture of himself on a boat, towing his son on water skis. And we know Mark is a Bitcoiner. So Mark, if you're listening and I know you're not, dude, you're just begging for your private keys to be destroyed. And okay. Now I'm going to read this one tweet from one Bitcoin warrior. Um, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head what he's replying to because I just took a screenshot stupidity like this. I try not to retweet. I just take a picture of it or a screenshot of it and then tweet that because I, 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 I don't feel it's it's appropriate to further the guy who's saying the following because this is this is this is daily train wreck worthy, but um, I, I didn't set it up that way and I will forget it. So I want to give it to you now. He's replying to Lop and a couple of other people and he says, stupid theory, God only hates evil and BTC and layer two serves evil dark markets. BSV is the light. The players will be held accountable. Law enforcement are actively work on collecting evidence as we speak. I mean, God, the, I should cue up the train music on that, but I'm just not going to because that is this. Do people actually believe this is my question. I mean, you can pay a shill, but I get the feeling that there are some people that actually believe this kind of garbage. Stay away from this kind of garbage and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.